Hey, my name is Matt Poole, and this is Unapologetically Catholic, the podcast where we dive into the different doctrines, dogmas, and beliefs of the Catholic faith to help explain why I personally am unapologetically Catholic and why I think that you should be too. This week, uh, we are going to talk about why it seems like Catholics have so many extra rules. Uh, <laughs> so sometimes one of the, I guess, arguments or, or things that people tend to, from an outsider perspective, or maybe even from an insider perspective, have a problem with is, why do the Catholics have all these extra things that they do and all these rules and regulations and stipulations and things that you got to follow? Uh, and one of the things that made me think about doing this episode was a couple of suggestions from actually a couple of different people who listen to the podcast. But also I thought it would be very timely to do it now because this episode is being recorded the Sunday before Lent and it is going to come out on Lent. So, uh, and Lent is a time where we do, where it can seem like Catholics have a lot of extra rules, right? So that's what we're talking about this week. If this is your first time joining in on the podcast, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Um, if you can, wherever you're listening to this, if you've not done it already, if you have, thank you. But if you've not, if you could leave a rating and review wherever you're listening to this uh, and share it with friends or family. And then if you have a suggestion of an episode that you would like to hear, feel free to reach out to me. You can either send me an email to unapologeticallycatholicpod at gmail.com or reach, on, reach out on Instagram at unapologeticallycatholicpod. But with that, let's get right into it. All right, so thank you for tuning in uh, this week. And yeah, like I said, what we're going to be talking about is sometimes it can seem like Catholics have a lot of extra rules and, and uh, things that we do, right? Like sometimes it can seem, well, one of the claims that I would always hear as a Protestant is, oh, the Catholics act like the Pharisees because, you know, Jesus didn't call us to do all these things that you Catholics say we have to do. Like, you got to go to mass every Sunday and you've got to, you know, when thinking about with Lent, you've got to go to, uh, well, you don't have to, but there's Ash Wednesday where you have, this part you do have to do. I was thinking you don't, I, well, anyways, <laughs> I'm getting all excited. Uh, so Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. So you go get ashes on your forehead, and then you guys fast, and you abstain from meat on Wednesday, and then every Friday in Lent, you have to abstain from meat. And every Friday throughout the year, you're supposed to do some kind of abstaining from something as a form of penance. Used to, it was abstaining from meat. Now it's just something to abstain from, at least in the United States. Um, I actually... That would be something that would be good to look into. I don't know if that's a difference for all Catholics everywhere universally or if that's just a thing in the United States. I know that Fridays are days of penance. <clears throat> excuse me. Fridays are days of penance all throughout the year, uh, no matter where you are like in the world. But I just don't know what... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's some places where you still do have to give up meat. In the U.S., it's not meat anymore. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Anyways, uh, that was <laughs> I rambled on about that for entirely too long. But 
you know, that just kind of this idea that you there's all these things that you got to do. You got to go to confession. You got to do good deed, deeds, right? So you have to feed the hungry and clothe the, the naked and give money to the poor. And just why, why do Catholics have so much extra, quote unquote, things that you have to do? So Jesus called us to do these things, right? So that's that's one important part to remember is that we are commanded to do some of these things, like fasting. We were told that we need to fast. Uh, fasting, we can see people do doing fasting all throughout the Old Testament. We can see it within the New Testament. There's the story in, oh man, I can't remember where it is, but the uh, apostles were trying to cast out a demon and they couldn't do it. And then Jesus was able to, of a little boy, right? And so Jesus was able to cast the demon out of the young boy. And then after everything is said and done, the apostles said, why could we not, why could we not do it? And Jesus told them, there's a certain type of demon that can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. So, you know, I think it, it's an important thing to do. We need to be doing this. Um, and so, you know, we can see examples of it being done in scripture and we can see that Jesus commands us to do it as well. But another thing that sometimes we'll hear, and this actually came in, there's someone who reached out to me on Instagram. So I, I've had a number of people bring up this topic, and I think it might be because it's around, excuse me, the time of Lent. So maybe that's why it's kind of fresh on everyone's mind. But someone messaged me and on Instagram and said, man, I just have the hardest time trying to convey to my non-Christian friends that all of these rules and things that we do are not, uh, they don't take away your freedom, right? Because that's something that often gets said. Sorry about that. That's my phone dinging in the background. I thought I had everything silenced, but I did not. (laughs) So, uh, where were we? Oh, yes. Okay. So, like, all these rules and things, they just, they take away your freedom. They, you can't do what you want to do. And that's a key point to remember in this conversation is that it's taking away some things that you want to do or that you desire, or not you specifically, but people just in general want to do and desire to do for whatever reason. Uh, and then someone else reached out and was talking about Lent. And because on Instagram, I had asked for suggestions on, you know, what do you, what do you want to hear about in the podcast? Uh, this, this pad podcast has typically been more of like an apologetic podcast for Catholicism, mostly against like Protestant ideas, I guess, or Protestantism, like Protestant arguments. But you know, I, this whole chant, the, the whole idea of this podcast and, um, hopefully YouTube channel, maybe one day I'm trying to work on it. We'll see if it comes to fruition or not, but I think we're getting close. So anyways, <laughs> um, it's, it's the whole idea of me starting this unapologetically Catholic stuff was to just explain this is why I'm unapologetically Catholic, right? Like I love being Catholic here's the reasons why I'm Catholic. And I think that you should be Catholic too. And I think you should be Catholic unapologetically. So, um, and here's all the various reasons why. So, um, 
I don't remember exactly where I was going with that, so I apologize. But, the, oh, that's right. So some I asked for suggestions, and someone said, you ought to do an episode on why, because sometimes Protestants and other people in general, uh, well, there's a couple things. One, when you walk around on Ash Wednesday with ashes on your forehead, people can laugh and think it's funny. So <laughs> I have a funny story to tell about a coworker who actually listens to this podcast. Um, so I had heard a story that on Ash Wednesday, he came into town for, uh, to, he, he lives out of town. So on Ash Wednesday, he went and got ashes first thing in the morning and then came into the office. And then when he was in the office, he, you know, he's walking around and he's got ashes on his forehead. And sometimes your ashes, they're supposed to look like a cross, but, Sometimes they can kind of look like a smudge or just like a blob or something. So one of our other coworkers said, "Hey, uh, you realize you got you got something on your forehead? You know that, right?" <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, no, I I I aware. I I'm aware. I'm I'm Catholic, and it's Ash Wednesday." And I remember my other coworker telling me, "I felt so embarrassed. I felt so bad." Cause I completely forgot that it was Ash Wednesday, and I ended. I was like, no, no, no. I'm sure he. I'm sure he was totally fine with it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there there can be people, and not that this other coworker didn't know what Ash Wednesday was. They just had forgotten about it. But there can be sometimes Protestants who are like, why do you people like? Why do you do this? Why do you put this stuff on your forehead? Why do you do all this fasting and all that stuff? That it's a bunch of extra rules that like just make you miserable and it holds you down uh, is kind of the idea, but that's not the case. Um, so, and also I kind of had, you know, my wife was telling me too, she said, you ought to do a, a podcast episode about like it, sometimes Protestant or not Protestant Catholicism can seem legalistic because there's extra rules. Like I had said before, when I was growing up as a Protestant, that's what we were always told is, oh, the Catholics are the pharisaical legalist uh, people group. I was trying, I was pausing because I was thinking pharisaical. Does that make sense? Uh, but I think it does. Uh, so, yeah, but we're not. And actually, with so the more that I studied Catholicism and the more that I looked into things, because I did, I mean, I was of that opinion too, that like, okay, there's too many, too many extra things. You guys are trying to just heap things onto people's heads to where they can't be Christian. Like being a Christian is already impossible, an impossible task, it seems, and now you Catholics are coming along and you're adding even more onto the Christian's plate. So how is anybody going to be able to make it? You know, that that was kind of my thinking and it it may be your thinking too or you may know someone who thinks thinks that type of thing. Uh, and that's fine cuz from an outsider's perspective it it can seem that way but it's not. So the more that I had thought through things and the more that I was digging into Catholicism, I kind of thought, yeah, you know, like all these, all of these quote unquote extra things that we're told to do are for our good, right? So it, it, it's the same with anything that we hear from Jesus. Jesus doesn't tell us to, you know, follow, you know, he didn't give us the Sermon on the Mount and say, okay, well, you, you've heard it said, 
you know, not to cheat on your spouse, but I say to you that like, or that even looking at someone with lust is committing adultery, right? Or you've heard it said not to steal, but all these, you know, Jesus didn't, wasn't heaping more onto people's plates when he said that, but he was giving more freedom. And so that's the, uh, I think key takeaway point. Cause like I had said earlier, oh, sorry. <clears throat> um, a key point that I had made earlier was that a lot of times when people have arguments against Catholicism and the things that we do and the, the things that we require, it, it seems like you're taking away your natural wants and desires. And in one aspect, that is absolutely true. So we have to, you know, let's kind of, let's go back a little bit, right? And, and think through this and talk through it so that we can help make more sense. Because I would like to propose the idea that all of these extra things that we're called to do as Catholics is what brings us true, real freedom and joy uh, and doing all the things that we want to do or just have an automatic desire to do actually bind us more to uh, they are they put the heavier burden and the heavier load on us and so this is what i mean so if we think about we're all born uh with sin natures right like the moment you are well the moment you're conceived there is a there's a disconnect with the relationship between you and God. Now, when God first created man with Adam and Eve, it was that they would be in full communion with him. They they saw him. They walked with him in the garden, right? Like they, they had it better than any person has ever had it before the fall. And that's what we were created for, was to walk with God wholly, right? Uh, like like entirely walk with God and to see him and to be with him and to enjoy him, his creation and his presence. And then, I don't know why I said and like that, but I did. <laughs> so then uh, Adam and Eve, obviously we know Adam and Eve sinned and it ruptured the relationship with God, right? Like Adam and Eve were banned from the uh, garden and <clears throat> then there was there was all kinds of curses that came from Adam and Eve's disobedience. Uh, and one of the things that caused, or one of the things that was caused from that was I, a, we are now, like, ever, we're all slaves to sin, right? So our natural inclination is not towards the things of God, but towards, like, evil things, right? So we are fallen, sinful human nature is not naturally good. In uh, in a full, like, you, good like Adam and Eve were good before the fall. I, I'll put it that way, right? Because there is a sense in which God created us, and he said it is good, and so we are, a, in a sense, a good creation, but we do still have that fallen sin nature. So there, I think that's an important distinction to bring up. And I, the, part of the reason is because as a Calvinist, growing up as a Calvinist Baptist, super reformed guy, I was like, 
you're as bad as bad as can get. You know, it's if you're familiar with Calvinism, you'll be familiar with Tulip and that T of Tulip. Oh man, I was real strong. Like I was like, oh yeah, that little infant right there is as evil as anything. And which now looking back, it's kind of like, well, <laughs> you know, maybe it, that that infant absolutely has a sin nature, but God still did create that infant, and God doesn't create evil things so you know it that infant is inherently good though it does have a sin nature it has a problem that needs to be fixed anyways that's rabbit trail i'm sorry if you're not new here you're used to my rabbit trails and thank you for sticking around <laughs> but anyways um yeah so these uh the these inclinations that we have are typically not towards naturally not and on our own are not towards the good but to the bad so we desire to do things that are not our for our good right until we are baptized and we're made a new creation in Christ Jesus and then we can be given the desire to do those things but we obviously still struggle with sin and we still battle with uh concupiscence right like the tendency towards sin or the tendency to the bad but we can fight against these things now um, we can avoid those things and all of the bad and evil things that we can have a desire to do or that we can kind of want or that we can work towards all of the those bad and evil things are not what we were created for so we got to think okay what why were we created well, like I had said earlier, we were created to be with God and to enjoy him forever. I, in the Baltimore Catechism, I think that's close to the Baltimore Catechism. I don't know. There may be some people listening who know it and are like screaming at me right now. No, that's not how you say it. Uh, because there's some like, you know, very, uh, I don't know. There's some people who know it super well. And I don't know it super well. I just know it very basically. But anyways, so I say all that to just say that we were created for the enjoyment of God, right? To be in the beatific vision, to see him as he is, and our to reach our truest potential is to be with God and to follow what he created us for. So I wanted to lay all that groundwork to make this point that all these rules and regulations and things that are done are done for us to reach that fullness of what we were created to be, right? We weren't created to fall into sin, to have temptations to sin. We weren't created to uh, do bad and evil things. We weren't created to be selfish. And so, but now because we still have a human nature and we still fight against sin even after we're we're baptized and you know frequent the sacraments and everything and have God's grace continually poured into our lives even still we uh we have these desires to do these things that are not what we were created for they are not good for us right so because I'm a dad and I have young kids this is uh Children is an easy example for me, and I think most people, whether you're a parent or not, or not, you can <laughs> understand where I'm coming from when I say this. So, you know, we, uh, as 
a parent, you know what's good for your child, you know what's not good for your child, right? So because your child is a child, like my oldest is almost coming up on seven, close. Kind of, we're over halfway there. Uh, <laughs> we're at, oh, yeah, she's over six and a half is what I'm saying. Anyways, so she, if I just said, hey, kid, do whatever you want, like, just go do what you want, right? What would she do? She would take her little iPad tablet thing, and she would play it all day long, and then she would eat all the cake and cookies that she could possibly shove into her mouth, and she would eat candy, and she would just drink juice all day long. Um, she would do a lot of things that would be really, quote-unquote, fun for her that she would enjoy. But as a good parent, I have to tell her, no, you cannot have cake and ice cream and donuts and candy all day, every day. No, you cannot just sit on the sit on the couch literally all day and play on an iPad or a little tablet thing. Uh, no, you cannot just like make a mess and never clean it up because and and why? It's not because I'm just some mean, angry like. Oh, I'm the dad, and I'm gonna approve my authority by forcing you to do what I want you to do and not letting you do what you want to do. And sometimes that's kind of the mentality that we can come to God with is, oh, well, you're just a mean God who just wants to force your authority and your morality on me just because you can. But just like me being a good parent and telling my child, no, you cannot have cake and donuts and cookies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week because it's bad for you, the same thing with God. He tells us, no, you can't do these things. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do the other because it's what's best for you. And if me as an earthly father knows what's good for my child, even a, a, someone who, like I had said earlier, still struggles with sin, still battles against sin all day, every day, because every human being does, then how much more does God know what's good for us, right? Even though we're not really excited about it. Because when I tell my kid, hey, you can't have three donuts within 10 minutes, okay? That's a little too much. She's not going to be very happy about it, and she might even cry, and she might even be sad, and she might even feel like, oh, this is not good. But is it good? Yes. And why is it good? Because if she has three donuts... The consequences of eating three donuts within 10 minutes is not going to be really good in an hour or less, right? Typically. I mean, you know, let's use an extra 12 donuts. You cannot even eat a dozen donuts within 10 minutes. You will regret it in an hour or less. I promise you. Uh, and it's the same thing with God. He says, you cannot do these sins. You can't do these things that are bad for you because in the end, you're going to regret it. And with God being perfect, the ultimate good, uh, the ultimate love, with God being all of these things, like God is love, God is truth, God is goodness, not the ultimate. So I apologize that I said the ultimate, but God is true, and God is good, and God is love. Um, and with him being those things, then all of the requirements or rules or everything that he tells us to do is for our good. And it's the same thing God gives us these 
things that we can do through the church, like fasting and abstinence and going to Mass. All, all of these things that we can do, they're all for our good, even though sometimes they can go against what we may naturally... Like, it's not... I love going to Mass, right? I really love Mass. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I love going. But I will say that waking up at whatever time it is... Let's see, we have Mass at 8.30, so we try to leave our house at like 8.10, right? So we wake up about 7 o'clock. So waking up at 7 a.m. on a Sunday to get four kids ready to then take them to Mass to go sit down for about an hour to just spend an hour, basically, <laughs> because all my kids are very young, saying, stop, get off your brother, leave her alone, stop, don't get loud, can you please stop, can you please just sit down, can you please stand up now? Like, that's not necessary, like, it's not the most fun thing in the world, right? But I know it's what's best for me, and, and because of that, I have a true desire to go, even though I know it's not, you know, if you said you can pick anything in the world and it doesn't, nothing matters at all, um, then I would probably pick something other than mass. I hope that what I'm saying makes sense, right? I do. I love going to mass, but I'm just trying to make the point that going to mass is hard, and it's not like a walk in the park. It's not like somebody's saying, "Hey, just wake up and cut your TV on and watch mass on the TV." If that if that did the same thing. Dude, you better believe that I would be on the couch every Sunday <laughs> in my pajamas with my family saying, here, just sit on the couch and let's just watch Mass together because it does the same thing. Uh, but it doesn't, and I know that it doesn't, and I know that going to Mass does something far better for my good and the good of my family than anything else could. Um, and because of that, I... I go do the thing that I know I need to do, right? Because I know it's for my good. Um, so I don't know. I hope that I hope that kind of makes sense. But you know, another like analogy that I have heard, and I think that this, I think I heard this on the Bible in a Year podcast, or maybe the Catechism in a Year podcast. One of the two. I think it was Father Mike Schmitz that said it. Uh, he said, "Okay, think about driving, right? So when we're driving." If someone said there are no laws, there's no rules, um, just go do what you want, whatever you desire. Uh, there's no painted lines on the road. There's no stop signs. There's no red lights. There's no no basic set rules for driving, right? No one would ever say, oh, that's real freedom. Like, that's true freedom right there. You could just do whatever you want. There's no speed limits. So one guy can go 110 miles an hour, go as fast as his car as little, as fast as his car will possibly let him go, and then you can have the other, you know, older lady who's just trying to get to her doctor's appointment, and driving makes her nervous, and she's trying to go 20 miles an hour, and people are running into the back of her car because there's no rules. There's nothing saying they can't do that. They're pushing her out of the way. Um, if you live in or near a big city, I drive through downtown Atlanta sometimes, and I know for sure if there was no rules, people would absolutely be pushing others out of the way with their car. Absolutely. Uh, Atlanta traffic is not, <laughs> it is not any fun. I'm sure it's the same in any major city, but I live close 
ish sort of around Atlanta. I'm close enough that I go some of the time and I hate it. Uh, <laughs> so anyways, yes, if there was no rules, that would not be ultimate freedom. But we do have all these rules and regulations and, you know, your your car can't be falling apart when you drive it, right? There's even rules about the type of car or the maybe the, um, like, you can't drive a car with two wheels and the back to be gone and then just drag it across the road, right? Why? Because it's not good for you or anyone else. And there's lines in the road. Why? Not to hold you down or anything like that, but because it's what's best for you. It helps us to operate the most smoothly and the best for you yourself and everyone else who's driving. And it's the same thing with the laws and rules and regulations that... uh, I don't know why I keep saying regulations, like (laughs) the laws and rules that we have. It's the same thing with that, right? All these things that were given are given to us by God. And why? Well, for our good and for his glory. That's why everything that is done for us is done for us. And the church gives us things because because the church is the body of Christ. The church gives us these things to help us to more either to that is for our good right or to help us to more easily maybe not more easily but to help us to follow what is best for us and what is good for us uh is sometimes why we have these things like fasting and abstinence because why what like why do we fast right um well the whole point of fasting is to realize that you don't food is not the thing that sustains you. It kind of brings to light, well, a couple of things. So one, there's more to life and there's more to reality than just our physical um, wants or needs or desires. And food is a big deal, right? Like if you don't eat, you will not continue to live. But or fasting from food can help us to realize, okay, there's a... I, I, I need God, right? And God is the one that sustains my life. Another point that I really like about fasting is that it kind of takes the, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. So, you know, the natural physical hunger that you feel. Your stomach hurts because you're hungry and it's like growling and making noises and Maybe you feel a little bit more tired and you feel weaker because you don't have as much food in you and so you don't have as much energy. You just don't, fasting is not, fasting from food is not like an enjoyable, pleasurable thing. But it helps to, for me personally, I love fasting because it helps take the reality of this is how your soul feels for God this the, like these all these things that you're feeling physically for food this is how your soul feels for god right and so it it brings that reality more uh, it makes it more of a reality because i understand yeah this is not fun and like i need i need food you know i'm 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 shaking and i'm feeling tired and i'm trying to chase these kids around but i can't do it unless i have food and so it's the same thing with us and our souls with God. Like, it makes you realize that you need him. So you 
you know, your soul is going to continue to get weak if you don't go to the source that can give you the the energy that you need or the the fuel that you need spiritually to continue go just to keep going, right? And so that's why not only in Lent do we we fast. Obviously, that is um, fasting and abstinence is a large part of uh, Lent, but we also have prayer and almsgiving, or or you know giving of our time, talent, or treasure to those who are in need. And it's it's all to help. It, they all co-mingle together, and they all work together. So. I don't know, I, I hope this kind of makes sense as to why we as Catholics and just Christians in general have all these things that we know we can or cannot do. Our ultimate freedom and our ultimate good is found in these things that are put in place, these guardrails that are put in place for our good. Because we have a good father who loves us, who cares about us, and who wants the best for us. And so he would not be a good father if he didn't put things in place to help us to to reach our ultimate potential and put things in place so that we could be we could do things that are good for us all right thank you for listening to this week's episode and i hope maybe this is a a helpful thing going into this ash wednesday and this this Lenten season um, that can be kind of difficult, but you know, ho- hopefully, understanding why we have all these things in place and that therefore are good kind of helps you make it through, right? <laughs> Maybe to make it a little more fruitful uh, Lent. But I did want to tell you guys about there uh, is this um, account on Instagram called the Scriptorium Project, and they're not just an account on Instagram, but they're doing some really cool work, and I wanted to share it with you all. Uh, because it's something I enjoy, and I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably would be interested in it as well. But they um, have a large collection of different works from the early church fathers um, that are really dating from like the 4th to the 15th century, um, and not just church fathers, but all kinds of different works from the 4th to the 15th century, century, um, that in a lot of these texts have not been translated into English before. And these guys are translating a lot of these really neat works of um, literature into English. So definitely give these guys, uh, well, don't give, I mean, I guess you could give them your money, but (laughs) check them out. Uh, Go look look them up. I found them through Instagram, so go check them out on Instagram. They've they've got some really neat uh, different works that I think you will probably enjoy, and I'm looking to get a hold of some myself. So uh, yeah, check it out. But it, anyways, I hope that, I really do hope that this Lent is uh, very fruitful for you, and uh, I hope this podcast has been beneficial for you. So uh, thank you for listening. And with that, remember that I will be praying for you, and may God bless you.